Let's turn to James chapter 5, verse 13. James 5. And as you're turning there, I want you to think about this. It's that this life, this world, this life is not all that there is. But the Bible teaches us very clearly that, that your life is part of a much bigger story. Much bigger story about God creating a world in which he would display his beauty, the glory of his love, by saving lost men and women through the sacrifice of his son Jesus, and then bringing these saved men and women from every nation, tongue, and tribe into the new heavens and the new earth, where we will worship him forever. That's the big story. So your life is all about that story. That's what's really going on in your life and in my life. Now, most of you here this morning... I assume, have been saved, and you're trusting in Jesus Christ. Some of you, not yet. We're glad you're here. But most of you have been saved through trusting Jesus Christ, and so you are now on this road to the new heavens and the new earth. You're on that road, and so your passion in life is to keep your own faith growing strong, your love for Jesus deepening, to encourage your brothers and sisters and their trust in Jesus Christ, to bring others up onto the road, heading to the new heavens and the new earth, bringing them to faith in Christ. This is what we're all about. We're living for the new heavens and the new earth, the life to come for the glory of Jesus Christ. We're on the road to heaven. But the Bible also tells us clearly that there is the devil, Satan, whose passion is to do all that he can to draw us off of the road to the new heavens and the new earth. And there are two main ways that he does this. One is by using trials, suffering in our lives, to discourage us, to make us bitter, so we turn away from God off the road. Enough of this, I'm off. That's what Satan wants to do through trials, through suffering. That's one way. The second way Satan wants to get us off the road is by using blessings, good things. So that as good things come to us, we can get proud. Our hearts can be turned from God to ourselves. And we can start to worship and pursue the good things of life more than God. And so then we're walking off the road to heaven. That's what Satan wants to do. And so as you look ahead to the next months and years and decades of your life, understand that Satan is going to be seeking to use trials and blessings to turn you off the road, away from God, off the road that's leading to the new heavens and the new earth. But in James chapter 5 verse 13, James tells us what we can do to thwart Satan's plans. What can we do when we're facing suffering? What can we do when we receive blessings so that the sufferings won't make us become discouraged and bitter and turn off the road, so that the blessings won't make us become proud and distracted from God so we turn off the road? What can we do? James tells us, chapter 5, verse 13. Look at what he says. One verse. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Received blessings, cheerful. Let him sing praise. Okay, so two very different situations. Suffering, blessings. Let's start with the suffering one. What kind of suffering does James have in mind here? 
This word suffering in the Greek language is a broad word. It's really covering every possible kind of suffering. So James is thinking of anything in our lives that would cause us difficulty, that would cause us pain, that would cause us distress. All that comes under the category of suffering. And James' readers were in the thick of suffering. Let me just remind you, this letter was written to those who had been in the church in Jerusalem, which James was a leader of, but because of persecution, they fled and went north to Palestine and, and Syria. And so they were essentially homeless refugees. And so we saw back in chapter 2, verse 15, some of them were lacking food and clothing. Some of these believers. We saw a few weeks ago, beginning of chapter 5, that some of them were being oppressed by the rich who were hiring them to work in their fields and then not paying them. Also in chapter 2, verses 6 and 7, some of them had been unjustly taken to court by the rich, and some were being persecuted for their faith in Jesus Christ. So James' readers were definitely suffering, which is why suffering has been a theme of this book, and we're seeing it again here in chapter 5, verse 13. But James' readers are not alone. Every follower of Jesus will suffer. See, Jesus was very honest with us. John 16, for example, Jesus promised, in the world you will have tribulation. In Acts chapter 14, verse 22, Luke tells us what Paul preached when he went and visited the new converts at places he had just been traveling. These new churches were planted. Luke gives us a one-sentence summary of what Paul preached to brand new Christians. What do brand new Christians need to hear? Here's the one-sentence one summary through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. In other words, the road to heaven goes through many tribulations. Brothers and sisters, new believers, don't be surprised. It's all through the scriptures. And James himself, chapter 1, he says, count it all joy, not if you encounter various trials, but what's the word he uses? When. When you encounter various trials. So every follower of Jesus will suffer. Now, we said a few weeks ago, remember the good news is suffering will end when Jesus returns. So what are we hoping in? Jesus' return. But in this life now, we're at war, and that includes suffering. So every follower of Jesus will suffer persecution for faith some of the time. Some will have children born with disabilities some will be in painful marriages or have wayward children. Some will have unfair bosses. Some will suffer with cancer. Every follower of Jesus will suffer. But heaven is coming. And yet now we deal with suffering. And James wants to talk about suffering because he knows it's hard. Now why is suffering so hard? That's an easy question to answer, right? It's because it's hard. And, and I think, as I've pondered it, suffering always means something was taken away from you that was precious, that was valuable, that brought you joy, that brought you pleasure or comfort or security. You've lost that. You used to have it or you were hoping you'd have it, and now that's gone, and there's this sense of loss, which means sorrow and pain and suffering. I mean, think of what James' readers had lost, fleeing Jerusalem to avoid persecution, Homes, businesses, farmland, they left behind families, friends, financial security, massive loss that they'd experienced. 
and many of you have suffered greatly. Many of you have suffered greatly, painfully. Now, I want you to think about what do we often do as believers when we suffer? That is, how do we so often respond in ways that aren't right? I mean, even besides grumbling and complaining, it struck me that much of the time we, we think we're supposed to kind of pretend that everything is fine because we know we're supposed to, like James said, rejoice in trials, right? And so we can pretend that we're fine. We can pretend that we're rejoicing, even though we're not, but we know we're supposed to. We know we should. But, but see, here's the problem with that. The problem is it's not real. And it takes a lot of energy to pretend. And at some point, you will get too exhausted to continue that. Right? Some of you have experienced that. I have experienced that. And that's when the discouragement can start to come in. And we can start to raise questions to God like, why would God allow this? I thought God was good. I thought God loved me. Any of you asked that question? And sometimes in that discouragement, as the bitterness grows, we can end up turning entirely away from God. That's the danger we face. Every time suffering comes, there's a far greater problem than just the suffering that Satan is right there wanting to bring upon you. And that's the problem of turning away from God. That's the real problem we should be concerned about. Every time Satan's there seeking to draw you away from God. But God loves you. That's why he had you be here this morning. And that's why he had James write verse 13. Because James tells us what we should do as we go through suffering. What does James encourage us to do when we suffer? First half of verse 13, very simple, three words. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Pray. The most important thing you do when suffering comes is pray. Now, how do you pray? What do you pray? What do you say? The book of Psalms is the songbook for Old Testament Israel. Jesus and his disciples, I just love this picture of these men singing these psalms together. They often sang the, the psalms. And there's probably 20, 30 psalms that are called lament psalms. L-A-M-E-N-T. Psalms of lament. Which means they are an outpouring of grief and sorrow for believers when we go through suffering. And I would encourage you to study those psalms of lament. And I would encourage you especially to look at Psalm 13, 42, and 55. Those are three of my favorites. 13, 42, 55. Jot those down. Because in these psalms of lament and in other scriptures, we can learn how we should pray when we're going through suffering. And I've kind of boiled it down to seven prayers. Okay, now you don't need to jot these down. I will, I'll put them on our Facebook page. So just listen for this point. But, but here's seven ways that are described in the Psalms of Lament and other scriptures that I have found very helpful and powerful when I am suffering. First of all, describe your situation and feelings honestly to God. Describe your situation and your feelings 
to God. Now, doesn't God already know our situations and our feelings? Absolutely. Better than we do. But it's important that we not pretend when we pray. It's important that when we pray, we say, Father, look at this. Look at what my boss is doing. Father, I'm sick. Father, I need a job. Look at the persecution that's coming. We, we, we tell him, as you read these Psalms of Lament, you'll see detailed descriptions of what's going on because we need to be honest before the Lord and fellowship with him in our suffering. So be honest about the circumstances and then be honest about how you're feeling. I'm frustrated. I'm disappointed. I'm feeling weak. I'm feeling hopeless. I'm, I'm moving towards being discouraged. Do you do that when you go through suffering? It's what God wants you to do. So be honest. Describe your situation to God and how you're feeling about it humbly. Second, confess to God any unbelief or anger or bitterness. Now, I've heard Christians say that there's nothing wrong with being angry at God when you're going through trials. Let me share a different perspective on that. The word anger in the English language, the way most people use it, when you're angry at somebody, it's because you think they're doing something wrong. Right? That's what you're saying. If you're angry at somebody, they did something wrong. That's why you're angry at them. But listen, God never, ever does anything wrong. If we're angry at God, who's wrong? We are. Now, do we get angry at God sometimes? I think we do, but we need to recognize that as sin. And don't pretend before God and say, Father, forgive me. I, I, I'm angry at you right now, and I'm sorry. Confess it. Forgive me for my unbelief. I'm not even seeing you right now. I'm doubting your promises. Forgive me. And so it's so crucial that we confess our unbelief, our anger, our bitterness to God as the sin that it is. And because of the cross, he is, as you're confessing, he is welcoming you to him. And as you, as you confess your sin, and this is the third step, trust Jesus' death to forgive your sin. This is so important. So that you can leave from your time of seeking God's face in prayer, leave with full assurance, you're forgiven. It's good. He's loving you. He's passionately rejoicing over you to do you good with all his heart and all his soul. So trust Jesus' death to forgive your sin. Look to the cross, trust him for forgiveness, and be assured that because of the cross, you're completely forgiven. Crucial step. And fourth, submit to God as the one who ultimately has allowed this suffering. Say, Father, I know this is no accident. There may be other people involved, Satan may be involved, but ultimately this is from your hand. You've allowed this to take place. And so submit to God as the one who ultimately has allowed this suffering. And again, the reason he's allowed it is because in great love for you and great wisdom, he has allowed this suffering to come to bring you great, great good, especially the great good of knowing him more deeply. I like to say that every, every trial, every suffering is a gift from God of more closeness to him because he's the best gift of all. So humble yourself before God's sovereignty. 
submit to his perfect love and wisdom. Now, this may take some time, and you'll need God's help to do this, but he will help you. He will meet you. Fifth, ask God to remove the suffering. Ask him to take it away. Heal the sickness. Turn my wayward child back. Give me a job. Lift the persecution from us. Pray. Ask God to remove the suffering. Ask him boldly. Ask him persistently. Ask him passionately. And often he will display his glory by removing that suffering from you. But often he won't. Which is why we continue to pray. Sixth, ask God to comfort and strengthen you through the suffering. He promises to comfort you. He promises to strengthen you. And he will do that as you seek his face, as you go hard after him in prayer, opening up the scriptures, praying, seeking him. God, meet me. I'm weak. Help me. Show me your love. Show me your goodness. Teach me your truth. Meet me now. He will come and comfort and strengthen you. And then seventh, ask God to help you display his glory through this suffering. It's part of the privilege of suffering is that God's called you to display his glory in a beautiful way. Because, see, as you suffer and rejoice in God in spite of the suffering, that displays that God is the ultimate prize and treasure. If you can have something that you've, that you've treasured lost, taken away from you, and say, blessed be the name of the Lord. That shows everyone that God is such a treasure, he makes up for any earthly loss. And Christ will be magnified and glorified as God puts that into your heart. But listen, that's, that takes grace. That takes a special work of the Holy Spirit. That takes prayer. That doesn't happen to any of us just naturally. Right? But God will give it to us as we press in through prayer. So those are seven ways I would encourage you to pray when you go through suffering. Now, what will God do then when we pray? I've already hinted at it, but let me just go over the list. Oftentimes, God will deliver us from the suffering. Remember in uh, Acts chapter 12, Peter was in jail. The early church prayed. God brought an earthquake. Chains fell off. Peter was delivered. Oftentimes, when we pray, God will deliver us from the difficulties. But sometimes, as I mentioned, in great love and wisdom, God will choose the, the trial to remain and in those times, God will always bring us comfort. When we pray and press in and seek his face, he will always bring us comfort. Second Corinthians chapter 1, God is the God of all comfort. God comforts us, Paul says, in all our afflictions. All of our afflictions, he'll comfort us. And, and what that means is that he will pour his love into your heart. He will so make his presence real to you that you behold him, and you've experienced this, when, when the Holy Spirit makes the Father and the Son real in your heart, oh, you're strengthened, there's peace, you're good, no matter what else is going on. So seek him for that comfort. God will always bring us peace. Philippians 4, 6, and 7, the peace of God, which surpasses comprehension, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Now, this isn't us just trying to feel peaceful. This is us praying, fighting to trust his promises, because when we do, his supernatural peace will fill our hearts, and we will be at peace. Not just trying to be at peace, but we will be at peace. 
And again, that, that comes and goes, right? You've got to keep fighting for it. It's not like steady state, okay? But he will give it. And then joy. God will give us joy. Again, this isn't us trying to feel joyful because we know we're supposed to feel joyful. It's what Jesus said in John 6, 35. I'm the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger. He who believes in me will never thirst. You come to Jesus Christ, you believe in him, you trust him, you pray, help me, strengthen my faith. And as you press in, he will give you times where your heart is completely filled with his love, completely satisfied in beholding his glory. Your heart will be full of joy, even in the midst of trials. He will give that to you as a gift through prayer. Now, let me give you an illustration. This, you might think, okay, does this really happen? Let me share with you from Hudson Taylor how this really happened. Hudson Taylor was uh, with his wife. Were, they were missionaries to inland China in the 1800s. And after they arrived there, soon thereafter, she became sick and she died. They'd been married for 12 and a half years, an amazing marriage, and she died. And it was devastating to him. Talk about suffering. I cannot imagine devastating suffering. But Hudson Taylor prayed. He pressed in. He set everything else aside, opened up God's word and lamented, prayed, sorrowed, asked God for help. And God met him. And the reason we know that is because he wrote some letters describing what God had done. And let me give you some excerpts from those letters. Here's what he says. Only Jesus knows what her absence is to me. No one else knows. Just Jesus, you know. Twelve and a half years of such unbroken spiritual fellowship, united labor, mutual satisfaction and love fall to the lot of very few. They had an amazing marriage. But were the loss less, I should know less of his power and sustaining love. So God had been pouring out his power and his sustaining love upon him. Never does he leave me. Constantly does he cheer me with his love. He who once wept at the grave of Lazarus often now weeps in and with me. Jesus weeping with Hudson Taylor. Hudson Taylor weeping with Jesus at the loss of his wife. Mm. Often I find myself wondering whether it is possible for her who is taken to have more joy in his presence than he has given me. Is it possible that she in heaven has more joy than, Lord, you're giving to me right now? At times, he, God, does allow me to realize all that was when she was still alive, but is not now, now that she's passed. And then he who will soon come and wipe away every tear, he comes. And he takes all bitterness from them, from my tears, and fills my heart with deep, true, unutterable gladness. Do you see how powerfully God met Hudson Taylor? This is peace. This is comfort. This is joy. 
This is lament. This is grieving with Jesus, weeping with Jesus. This is what he will do. Now, do you see how powerfully this would thwart Satan's plans of having his wife's death cause him to become discouraged and then bitter and then turn away from the road to heaven? Do you see how this would thwart Satan's plans? Not only did Hudson Taylor not walk off the road to heaven into the world, he was all the more strong in trusting Christ and walking on the road to heaven and advancing the cause of Christ in China because of how powerfully God had met him here. So church, I want to call you to pray when you go through suffering. This does not happen in 30 seconds of prayer. This does not happen because you, oh, I'm going to pray while I'm driving to work. Don't stop those 30-second slots of prayer and don't stop praying while you're driving to work. But we're talking here about setting everything else aside. I need to pray. Closing the bedroom door, getting down on your knees, opening up the Bible, kneeling by your bed, whatever, however, going out in the desert when it's cooler and walking, whatever it might be. But this is called setting everything else aside and seeking God's face. I need you, Lord. I need you to meet me now. I need a fresh touch from you now. And he will always be faithful to you in his time and to the degree that he seems best. He will always meet you. He will never forsake you in this. So pray. Is anyone suffering? Let him, let her pray. Do you hear what Paul's saying? Grace Church, whenever we suffer, let's pray. Let's pray, and we'll thwart Satan's plans. That's the first half of verse 13. The second half, is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Okay, what would it mean to be cheerful? That's obvious too, right? It means you've received some blessing. Okay, maybe you just got the job. Okay, you're cheerful. Your child is now potty trained, okay? You're cheerful, big win. Uh, your friend came to faith in Christ, cheerful. The doctor just called you and said, it's nothing serious, praise God. You asked her to marry you and she said, yes, all right. God loves to bring us blessings, loves to bring us blessings. So that's what James is talking about here. So what does he urge us to do when we are cheerful? He says, sing praise, sing praise to God which means you thank God, you adore God, you recognize that this blessing came from God, you recognize that it's a precious, undeserved gift from God's gracious hand, you recognize it's from Him, and you adore and you worship and you praise Him for it. So you could sing like the doxology. Okay, here's some families are doing the doxology together. Is that right? Around the dinner table. Praise God from whom all blessings flow, right? That's, that's giving praise to God. And you could you know, put on your favorite worship song and crank up the volume and, 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 and sing. When you are experiencing blessings, sing praise. Now, how will that keep us from Satan's plan to make us proud about those blessings as if we've earned them and then to distract us from God with those blessings so we want to pursue other earthly blessings more than we want to pursue God? How does praising, how does sing praise do that? Let me tell you, there's two ways. There's maybe more, but I thought of two. 
One is because when you receive a blessing and you praise God for it, what you're saying is that I'm not the one who should be praised for this blessing. I didn't earn this blessing. I didn't deserve this blessing. God God gave me this blessing as free mercy through Christ's death on the cross. This is really important. I don't know about your country, but in the U.S., oftentimes what people say to each other when something good happens to them is, you deserved it. You deserve it. You're worthy of it. Listen, I hope we never talk that way because that's not what the Bible says. Here's why. Here's here's the big picture. The Bible's very clear that we've all sinned against God. We're sinners by nature and by choice. That doesn't mean that, yeah, I think I probably sinned maybe Tuesday or maybe it was the previous Tuesday. I might have sinned maybe the last couple weeks. I'm sure I sinned once or twice, maybe, maybe three times. Before we were saved, the Bible teaches that all we did was sin. Even the seemingly good things we did were not done out of love for God, delight in God. They were done to not feel guilty, uh, maybe to impress other people, uh, maybe just to feel better about ourselves. But even the seemingly good things we did were not done with regard for God, love for God, praise to God. And so before we were saved, all we did was sin. It's so important to understand this. And so all we deserved was God's punishment forever. So important to see this. I deserved God's punishment forever. That's all I was worthy of. That's all I deserved. Now, but I'm saved now, right? Yes, but but why am I saved? Even my faith was a gift from God. Even my repentance was a gift from God. Remember Ezekiel 36? We had hearts of stone. We were running away from God. When God saved you, he reached down from heaven with his gracious hand and took out that rebellious heart of stone and gave you a new heart of flesh. So why are you saved? Because he gave you faith. He gave you repentance. He changed your heart. I was a rebel. I was an enemy. I was running from him, but he loved me and saved me. And so now I'm trusting him. I'm repenting because so I did nothing except trust. And he did everything. And even the trust was a blood-bought gift from Jesus. So when we say, God, all the praise for Jan saying yes when I proposed to her many years ago, all the praise for jobs we've received here, all the praise for obedient children, all the praise for promotions, all the praise for health, all the praise for every blessing doesn't go to us. We didn't deserve any of it. We are worthy of none of it. Every good thing you have is a blood-bought gift given to you with nail-pierced hands from Jesus. So all the praise belongs to you. Now, do you see how this thwarts Satan's plans? If you say, praise God for this promotion. Praise God for my health. Praise God for helping me get that job done on time. Praise God for what's happening in my kids' lives. Praise God for this person coming to faith. Praise God for what you're doing in my ministry. We're praising God for it because he's the only one who should be praised for it. And so we're thwarting Satan's plans because when blessings come, his plan is to have us start to get proud, thinking that we've deserved it. And that separates us from God, turns our hearts from God, causes us to give praise to ourselves. And that's the first step off the road. That's one way it works. 
A second way is when we praise God, we are acknowledging, God, you are the greatest blessing. Earthly blessings are wonderful, but no earthly blessing and no combination of earthly blessings will satisfy your heart. No husband, no wife, no children, job, promotions, money, vacation, food, drink, anything, or all of those things will not satisfy you. You've been in the world long enough to know that, haven't you? You've experienced those things long enough. I mean, we praise God for them, we enjoy them, but they don't satisfy you. All that satisfies us, the only thing that satisfies us is beholding God's glory in Christ. When you have those times where you're beholding Him, when you're worshiping Him, when you're seeing His beauty, His majesty, praising Him, exalting Him, loving Him, those are the times when your heart is fully satisfied, and it'll be lastingly satisfied forever in Christ. And so when you say, I praise you, God, for these gifts, you're you're acknowledging you are the best gift. These all are just signs pointing to the best gift. Don't get distracted thinking that these are what's going to satisfy you. No, I want to praise you because you are the prize. You are my inheritance. You are my love. You are my portion. You are my treasure. You're my God. You're the blessing. Thank you. I love you. I want to follow you. I want more of you forever. And you've thwarted Satan's plans. Do you see that? So, when you're blessed and you're cheerful, sing praise. Because that way the praise won't come to you. You'll crush the sin of pride and you'll exalt God and what Jesus purchased for you, every blessing, every good thing on the cross, free gift from him. And you'll be acknowledging that, God, you're the greatest blessing. Nothing else even comes close. I'm not going to let my heart be drawn away from you to pursue these other things. I'll thank you for these other things, but my heart's going to keep set on you. Okay, so here's Satan's plan. He wants to use suffering to cause you to become bitter and discouraged and to turn away from God. Satan wants to use blessings, times when we're cheerful, to cause us to become proud, distracted from God, so we turn from God. Grace Church, when we suffer, let's pray. And when we're cheerful, let's sing praises. And Satan's plans will have no effect on us whatsoever. We'll be humbled, we'll be happy, we'll be content, we'll be comforted, we'll be honoring him, we'll be praising him, and we'll be on the road to heaven. Let's stand together. I want to pray this over us. I pray, Lord, for those who are here right now who are suffering. And I ask, Lord, that right now we pray together for them. Right now you would touch their hearts. Right now, you'd strengthen their faith. You'd give them a glimmer of hope that you will do what we've talked about this morning. And I pray that you'd give them rich time praying today, tonight, tomorrow, and you'd meet them, comfort them, help them. I pray, Lord, for those who are cheerful right now because of blessings. I pray that they could sing praises. That they could recognize that every good that they have in their life is not because they've earned it or 
deserved it or been worthy of it, but even though they're sinners, you've loved them and had mercy upon them and you forgave their sins through Christ and you've purchased these wonderful blessings because of Christ. Let them be humble before you and let them have their hearts comforted and strengthened as they praise you for every good gift. So I pray, Lord, that you'd move upon us right now. We're all in different places in our hearts, whether it's suffering, whether it's blessings, move upon our hearts right now with exactly what we need. Pray this in Jesus' name.